Welcome to this episode of the Million Dollar Mastermind. I'm Larry Wydell, and before we get started, if you want to know exactly how to win again and again, go to WydellOnWinning.com forward slash webinar now to watch something I've put together for you. Now let's get going into this episode of Million Dollar Mastermind. This is a chance I've got to talk with Mark Lickfett. And Mark is from Europe, all over Europe, and now living out in uh, that hellhole of Malibu, California, overlooking that uh, ghetto of the Pacific Ocean, and just got a terrible life. Uh, my sympathies to you, Mark. Thanks, Larry. It's much appreciated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he's the founder of Knife Aid. And he founded that company in 2019 after many other adventures in business and uh, got on Shark Tank early on, first year. And now that company is, you know, he got a great deal and the company is blowing and going. And so, Mark, tell us how you've got the idea of knife aid and what, you know, what, what is it, what's unique about the knife? Yes, a good question, Larry, because it's it's a random idea, and 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 I think you you've said that before as well. That um, a lot of times when you start out, everybody tells you what a stupid idea it is, and I think that yeah. definitely qualified the night knife. It was very much the same. People were really puzzled what's it what it is about, and um, but but then there's so the idea is really that knife sharpening that whole it was probably one of the oldest crafts that there are, obviously, because knives were the first tools. So knife sharpening has been around literally forever. Um, but it's something that an industry that's been dying and that's collapsed because the sort of you have the butcher shop around the corner that used to sharpen knife, maybe the guy that cycled around the neighborhood or had a van and drove around the neighborhood sharpening knives, all those kind of that, that sort of supply has disappeared. So people still use knife, people still have knives, knives still need sharpening because there's really no technology that makes them sharp forever more. So that need is still there, but there was no there's no supply of that service any longer and that's why we created an, an online service where we can get you order on the website people stuff their knives in the envelope that we send them send them to us we sharpen them and send them back out so we can handle it anywhere in the us and we'll do new york but also kind of people in very rural areas just because the supply isn't there and, and the idea really came about because I mean, I've, I've done online businesses since the 90s and the niches that are unexplored online are, are getting smaller and smaller. Obviously in the 90s, you could start anything and nothing was digital. Now the niches are getting smaller and smaller. So, so I was really looking for a niche that's still unexploited. And I love the idea of it actually being a niche like knife sharpening where it helps people recycle their existing knives. So rather than people taking their knives and throwing them in, in landfill and disappearing, we can actually re help them reuse their knives and knives should last you 20, 30 years. But for that to be the case, they need to be sharpened. So it was that combination of an old craft, it helps the environment, plus it's a niche that's not digital yet and therefore kind of ripe for digital disruption. And uh, you know what about knives? I must have, I am just, stupidly fascinated in my life about knives you know we've done hunting we've done you know all kinds of things and i don't know what it is but i just love that i'll never use all these things every size you know i've got the kind with the sheaths and the big fancy leather sheaths and 
you know, at least we do use some of them uh, when we go hunting. But <laughs> I even have one as a money clip with a knife uh, to carry my money around. My son got that for me. But <laughs> I don't even have that. You're a perfect fan. <laughs> What's the, what is the fascination we have with knives? I, I think to me it's that that sort of primal the primal aspect that it probably really and much like you say knives and hunting I think it's this sort of thing cutting stuff up if you do DIY projects carving things preparing food it's sort of I think it just ties into just because I, I don't know what what how many many ever tens of million years ago it's 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 when when the first knives were invented and kind of when they used stone to cut things I think it just somehow in our I don't know what DNA we remember that that's sort of one of the most basic tools and it's independent of Wi-Fi of everything else it's so useful and then a lot of nice knives the couple of the ones I love you can really see how they've been kind of made as well so it ties us back to all that sort of somebody standing there pounding glowing steel I think it, it must be that sort of romance and, and old connection that we have to knives because I think I think they're ridiculously fun as well it's so great and I, I end up carrying a knife without ever using it, but it's just it just feels good to have it just in case. Well, in every car, you know, you know, <laughs> you got you got to you, you got to have them, and uh, it's the first thing that people, if they go on these wilderness or survival things, they can only take a few, a few things. They're going to have a knife with them, and uh, you know, knives are great metaphors for people in the sense that if they're not sharp, they're useless. And, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'll tell that to my staff. That's a good, a good one have to make sure everybody's sharp. Yeah, people, what, what kind of things come in the most? I mean, because I've got knife sharpeners all over the place here, but they're just for like straight edge pocket knives or kitchen knives and things like that. What kind of things come in the most? How did, how did you get convinced? What kind of research did you do? And how, how do you go about finding these niches that... Uh, that uh, are unexplored and unexploited. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing with knife sharpening is basically that there, there is no um, information on it whatsoever. So I, I, the, back when we did this kind of research in 2018, there was one study that said there were 1,300 knife sharpeners in all of the US, which is obviously totally nonsense, couldn't possibly be true. It's with, if you think of the, the population and with 120 million households, and, and the, the many more knives because every household obviously has multiple knives so just looking at doing a bit of research it's clear no one watches that space no one looks at it it's just completely forgotten um and then we i started looking at sort of suppliers of machinery for knife sharpening and the majority of those suppliers they either do two million dollar machines that a manufacturer will buy when they make knives or they will sell you as kind of a standalone unit that people will have in their shed somewhere or, or somewhere in, in, in their garage to sharpen their own knives. It, it was very clear that there, there was zero information. There was not a service like ours and zero information on that whole market that it had just been basically forgotten. It was sort of a supply side collapse of that market. So, so it was really through that um, finding, finding out about it. And then it's, I think it's slightly, uh, it's almost, I don't know, it's almost like a bad habit of mine is that I just love Dis disruptive sort of um, products and and most of the businesses I've done are disruptive and in a way I should have learned better than to do that now because it's in a way the a really difficult business to get off the ground because you rather than selling into an existing demand and people looking for your product 
I tend to find stuff that people need but don't know they're looking for, which, which makes it sort of a, a longer journey to actually get them to understand the product exists, why they should have it, and then get them to, to start buying. So I, I love it. It really triggers my brain and I, I love that sort of challenge. But, but it makes for, a lot of times makes for slowly growing businesses just because you have so much work to do, get, picking the customer up where they are today and then getting them to buy from you. Well, this was hardly a slow growing business uh, with you though. Oh, but if you think, I mean, the market potential is, is, is so absolutely massive. So it's, it's, how do you, I think, th how do you figure the market potential for, for, yeah, but that's a, yeah, but that's a, so it's interesting. I mean, if you just think, if you think it's, there's 120 million households and um, knives, everybody has at least uh, our smallest packages for knives, every household, if you throw in a pocket knife or we do scissors as well, if you throw in scissors, every household will have four, um, at least four knives or scissors. And then they, they really need, even if you don't use them a lot, you should sharpen them once a year. So in theory, we have all of those households are our customers and, and they all need our service once a year. And the people that cook a bit more and, and like they're cooking more, the normal knife block will have 12 pieces in it, 10, 12, 14 pieces in it. Um, and, and they probably sharpen every half year. So, so the, the the basis there is absolutely massive. It's just a question of getting all those people. And, and it's funny because you said you have knife sharpened equipment at right. home. Yeah. You wouldn't believe the amount of knives we get in that people and mainly guys, I think, completely messed up at home because it is it's a it's a craft and there are very few machines that will actually do a good job. And much like you said, they'll do a, a good job on certain knife types only. So we yeah. get so many knives that look like a banana and that are completely scr scratched and, and tipped <laughs> up and broken off because people told their wife, no, honey, I, I can do this. I can do this myself. And then after a while, the, the wife loses the patient and says, no, send them to someone who knows what they're doing. So, so even, so, so even the, the kind of competing substitute products, there aren't really that many. So the, the, that's why the, knife, the market size is massive. Hey. Listen, there's a lot of information online, but there aren't a lot of people who have actually done something. In my case, I've actually built a successful business that's accrued over $5 billion in assets under management and has done well even during trying time. Now, if you want to know exactly how I've done this, go to whiteellenwinning.com forward slash webinar now. I've compressed a decade of learning into five short weeks just for those of you who want to give yourself an incredible advantage and are tired of waiting and watching others move up. Yeah, and what came first? Uh, uh, the uh, Did you stumble into this idea or were you out looking for a product and if so like how many did you sort through and how long did that take to find you know i've got to find something i can do um it, it i it was more this process of looking looking for a product and it was really it's it was sort of half time at, at probably a two-year journey half time i i did and i know you've made fun of coaches before in one of your episodes but i actually took a, a top a coaching degree a sort of a a business coaching degree, life coaching degree in parallel and had cl clients, coaching clients, because I've always loved the sort of coaching leadership style. So I've, I've done that in parallel with looking for business ideas. And I really had three other ideas I took far, I, I, where there was a full business plan, a full model, budget model and, and investor conversations before disregarding them and then jumping onto this one. And what were they? Um, there, there was one um, 
one is it was a twist on on um, kind of the, the, basically the the magazine the whole magazine market and, and guys magazines the kind of equivalent of a GQ and and the, the likes those sort of magazines that they all have gone out of print and I think what has replaced the traditional print magazine isn't at all as satisfying as as um, the, the old magazines were so the business model is unclear there's really no one who has a powerful platform community around those sort of topics on online and it was a an attempt to bring both physical publication back and and um, create a website to go with it so that was one of them um the other one was was uh, actually a, a taking the concept of microloans that work so successful in the in the third world so this idea of giving really tiny loans to entrepreneurs in yeah in, in, in less developed countries taking that concept into sweden and into europe because we've had that massive wave of immigration in europe we had the last sort of three four five years ago we had that massive wave of migration to europe and a lot of the people coming to Europe then are highly educated, but none of their education is really being acknowledged. They have issues with language. Um, and it was the idea to say really those people that have made it to Europe in a way that's the hardest, most gruesome assessment center ever. A lot of those people are obviously very, very focused and determined and willing to push through barriers to have made it at all. And giving those people microloans in Europe to get them off their feet and start the bar, start a sewing business, start right. an affection business, what, what have you. And those seem to be a lot more complicated than what you found wound <laughs> up doing. That's true. I, I, what I, I love the idea, this, this microloan idea, bringing that into right. Europe, I love because it, it's just, I, I care for entrepreneurship so deeply and that is obviously would have been a really powerful enabler. It, it was very hard to find a good way of making money with that model. It, it was almost more, the more we looked at it, the more it went into the direction of a, of a sort of a charity. And, yeah. so, and definitely that's, more. That's true. Yeah. There's just not <laughs> enough, enough ways to slice up the pie. There. And, and the, and the, um, all, all the red tape with obviously if you give out loans and so forth, it's more complicated. So, so you're, you're perfectly right. I think they were both more, difficult um but then at the same time i mean what, what you wouldn't believe how challenging it is to do what we're doing because in the beginning the, the post office wouldn't transport our knives no facebook says you're trying to sell weapons you can't advertise google wouldn't let us advertise yeah, the post office we had the first very first uh, sort of our beta envelopes when we sent them out and they came back here to california in the middle of the summer in the heat the, the glue dissolved and the envelopes opened up and knife fell, knives fell out of envelopes and so, so it's like always there's a lot of trial and error and the devil is in the details so it wasn't it's not as simple as it sounds maybe how many people do you have that are i mean whoever's doing this sharpening has got like you say it's a craft it's a skill it's not something you hire a minimum wage person uh out of high school and in an afternoon it seems like uh seems like you know that your your people are very important to you that are that are doing the service that's very true and, and we basically start created an apprentice program like in the olden days so so people start out doing parts of the process only and only on certain knife types obviously in the very beginning the first three months they never even touch a customer's knife at all but they, we have training knives and so there's a whole process of yeah an apprenticeship process of learning to become that sort of craftsman and and it's really important to retain them 
Um, obviously, the good thing is right now we don't have any competitors that anyone could go to, but they could obviously set up their own shop. So it's about keeping them, keeping them motivated and keeping them loyal to us. And, and then it is, I mean, it's, it's tough work because it's kind of physical work. It's obviously, yeah, it's dirty, it's messy, it's noisy. So um, yeah, that definitely, it's a really important part of what we do is keeping them educated and, and upskilling them and, and keeping them happy. Well, the thing is that your apprenticeship program is exactly parallel for the best way you train anybody in anything uh, that involves skill or performance is to get them in and let them kind of ride with you and observe and then step by step start to do one piece, then two pieces, then three pieces of the step. And uh, the important you, and then always under the watchful eye of the training manager, you know, it's almost like how we did uh, trained uh, people in financial services. They came in, they would uh, come in, get certified, get licensed and learn, learn things. But then they would observe uh, the, the pros in action in front of, uh, you know, live fire, uh, more or less uh, like it was a war or something, you know, uh, but they can't handle the guns yet and uh, they can't handle the presentations, but eventually they move over to where they're doing the presentations, and, but at least pieces of it, you know, step-by-step. Step. And uh, that is really the best way to train anybody in anything. But before that happens, you've got to know how to do it at the highest level yourself. So how did you get that knowledgeable about that business? We, we have a, a, one of the founders, Magnus, he's a guy, and it, it's very funny because he's an engineer by trade, and for the longest time he worked with sort of encryption software and a really just a, a brainiac, a smart guy. And he, about 30 years ago, started to do knife sharpening. So he was in LA doing knife sharpening for sort of high-end chefs for, for the, the sort of, yeah, the, the most knowledgeable people, knife people in LA, he was doing work. And he'd actually, for many knives, he would charge a hundred or $150 to chop, sharpen one of their knives. So, so it was him we reached out to and he joined us in, in kind of setting up the business and really brings the knife knowledge to the table. Well, that's the, shows the value of partnering up with people that have the expertise you need. You know, you can move ahead light years, collapse decades of development time by doing things like that. And I think you had me with the name Magnus. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as soon as you said Magnus, I kind of figured where we were going with that. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's larger than life. Um, but but and, I, I, and I really like your point because it's so easy to think, okay, knife sharpening, you need an apprentice program, but you don't need an apprenticeship program for business. But I think much like you said, things like presentations and so much in business, is so much more craft and art really than it is science. So this, this sort of approach of, yeah, I'll just hit a book and afterwards I can do it. It definitely doesn't work in knife sharpening, but it doesn't work in business either. It's really about, yeah, watching good people, learning from good people and, and doing it rather than just studying endlessly. Yeah, that's why people, you know, uh, you have the big corporations and they matured out to where they're being run by uh, ex-accountant or attorney who has no idea uh, about the art of sales and sales is what drives every company, uh, sales and marketing, got to sell the stuff. And uh, 
they have no idea the the trauma, the things that the marketing people, the salespeople go through. And so they don't put a big premium on it, you know, but if it's, if it's not, if you can't do it in a factory, uh, uh, you know, if you can't teach a robot to do it, then it's <laughs> going to be an art because you got to think on your feet and you got to have skill. You got to have instincts and you got to play your instincts and uh, be able to keep on going when it doesn't, work out, but then learn something from that situation. So you're better the next time. It's going to be a long way before we can get the robots to do that. They said they're working on it, but. Uh, yes. uh, and, uh, and I, I think to your ad list of, of marketing and sales, I would even add culture because I, I do think it's so, I mean, more and more and more so that people's motivation, the, the company culture, the corporation is, is just so totally key. And obviously that robots will never learn and an accountant they can do surveys and then look at the numbers and say the surveys are trending up and down, but that's not a way of creating culture. So I think that piece as well is just something you need to learn from other entrepreneurs, from other organizations, um, those, those soft facts. Uh, to wrap up this segment, would you speak to the issue of those who are listening? They're saying, you know, Ted Cummins, I wish I knew a Magnus. Uh, you know, I wish I could come up with an idea like this. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just not a, a great idea person. But if I had that idea, um, you know, I could really do something. But they don't understand that it's a process of sorting through things and just taking the time to go through the numbers and evaluate. Uh, because, folks, if we look out, you know, <laughs> I'm just talk talking to all of y'all now. If we went like five years in the future, there'd be like a hundred thousand new inventions in every area of life that none of us had ever even, you know, could imagine today. And like, and then the things that are already here are going to be reinvented and improved up to another level. You know, they're not going to run out of people to be contestants on Shark Tank. They're not going to run out of people to be, you know, they're not closing the patent office you know there were there was a bill in congress to shut down the patent office in like 1920 because they said you know all the inventions are made you know you know what else could there be but <laughs> so you know there's going to be new stuff out there but you got to get on you cannot let yourself say you can't rule yourself out of the game now because you haven't thought of something yet you're one idea away from transforming your life and so you got to be on the attack looking just like you've got to be on the attack once you get the idea to make it happen and so i wanted you to talk about that and i saw i think that's why i love your stuff and the things you say because for me it's this it's almost it it's it's really this we talked about earlier not hesitating so i think it's also it's it almost doesn't matter what idea you start with i think this i really believe in this credo ideas are nothing execution is everything so the idea to just don't hesitate decide just do anything as long as you're then able to to keep adjusting while you do it then you're going to be fine yep, you're, you're tweaking you turn it, it's going to turn out and, and i have one example of, of a business i started where really in hindsight it was probably the most stupid business idea ever um but we raised money on that idea had the money and then understood luckily and, and we adjusted understood it was, it was a stupid idea it's never going to fly and then we changed the business around and ended up doing something 
drastically different, but none of the shareholders and investors cared. And we sold it really successfully and it's a market leader in Sweden. So it's, it's so I've, I've really been there and this is idea, just to show how stupid it was, is this was in 2005, where we wanted to build something on, on the web protocol back then, the mobile website protocol, which, which is obviously long dead and the iPhone killed it dead, but it was never really a good, a good platform to begin with. And then we wanted to do a deep price comparison of books and DVDs. And basically books are dead and DVDs are bad, dead, dead. So the idea was really to compare something no one cares about any longer on a platform that doesn't even exist any longer. But we started with it, people loved it, we raised the money and then we pivoted and we ended up doing a price comparison of insurance products and financial products, which are much better, uh, still around, have much better margin and it was a much more successful business. But had we sat there and just deliberated forever more about starting or not starting, nothing would have happened. Very, very well said. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed what you've heard and are dead serious about finding out for yourself exactly how this works in the real world, I've taken the most valuable business lessons I've learned over 40 years and put them into something for you to watch. Go to whiteellowinnie.com forward slash webinar now in order to move up as fast as possible. I'm Larry Whitell, and I run the Million Dollar Mastermind. Go, go, go.